0: Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zaylot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. How do Catholic institutions remain Catholic in our world today? How do they protect themselves from the culture, even from government entities, that seek to prevent them from acting in accord with their identity and mission? Today's interview addresses these and other related questions. We are joined by Doug Wilson, Chief Executive Officer of the Catholic Benefits Association, or CBA. Doug and I will first discuss what CBA is and the services it offers to its members. We will then explore four recent Supreme Court decisions and their impact on religious liberty, particularly on the rights of Catholic employers. We conclude by discussing challenges facing Catholic institutions moving forward, and how the CBA can help these institutions protect themselves in this ever-increasingly secular and hostile culture. Doug Wilson, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Joe. Good to be with you. Great to have you on. So I ask this first question of every new guest on our podcast. Can you please tell our listeners a bit about your background, especially your education, work experience? prior to coming to the Catholic Benefits Association? Well, gosh, Joe, we start right off with the really exciting
1: things. So uh, I'll start off with the best of it. Uh, my wife, Kathy, and I have eight grandkids and live on a farm out here in Colorado with a wide variety of animals. But going back in history, uh, there were four years in the Marine Corps, followed by uh bachelor's uh, degree in English literature from Georgia State University, as well as a master's in healthcare and hospital administration. So that led to 25 years in healthcare management, primarily as CEO of a variety of hospitals. And then another 10 years as CEO of two healthcare technology startup companies, two very different sets of, of challenges, I think. But, uh, the hospital management part of it I, I appreciated because I had the opportunity to lead large, complex, established organizations and have a lot of great exposure to healthcare policy, insurance programs, medical, legal issues, and the chance to partner with communities, employees, physicians, and, and patients. The switch to uh, the two tech companies was <laughs> a jump into some cold water for me. Uh, we started from the ground up with almost no resources, no organizational structure but with the opportunity to be creative in in both the technology that we did develop, uh, as well as our employment and benefits practices. So I think the combination of those two are probably what made me uh, fit for this position.
0: Good. And just uh, in the interest of of disclosure, we've known each other for a couple of years, and we see each other at, at conferences in different places around the country. I also know that you're a pilot, and I'm waiting for a ride one of these days.
1: Well, you just come on out to Colorado,
0: and I'll just change your world. <laughs> <laughs> now, you'll probably, you'll probably you probably enjoy an airplane. You'll probably enjoy doing that. So, Doug, why did you join the CBA? Well, Joe, I, I,
1: both of my careers were challenging. They were rewarding, and, and in their own way, they were personally satisfying for me. But when CBA came along and, and it offered the chance to use everything that i would learned through the years, but it had a, an added feature that really made the difference, uh, it filled a void in, in my past and what I felt was a void in my life. And it offered the chance to, in a very direct and necessary way, uh, serve our church and the religious community as a whole. So the choice was pretty easy.
0: Yeah. Did you in your prior work in hospital administration and in in the companies you, you founded, did you find any of that same fulfillment at all or or is this something new with CBA?
1: It's it's not new, but I think it's much more direct. Uh my career in hospital management was basically focused on fixing broken hospitals. So there was a lot of <laughs> personal satisfaction in going into a burning building and leaving a few years later with it, operating smoothly and taking care of people, serving communities. But this was just different. Uh, It's a more personal thing, and and it lets me wake up every morning excited to go to the office.
0: Which is always a good thing. So what is the Catholic Benefits Association? Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, I could take about the next hour and, and do that, but in, the, in its fourth terms, Joe, it's uh, we're an association of over a 1,000 Catholic employers and came together back in 2013 with a primary goal of protecting the rights of, of Catholics to live their, their faith, not only in the church, but in the context of, of their ministries and, and their businesses. Uh, We consist now of 62 dioceses, as well as church-affiliated organizations, Catholic charities, hospitals, religious orders, universities, colleges, schools. Uh, And very importantly, we have a a group of privately owned, not-for-profit and for-profit Catholic businesses. The catalyst back in in 2013 was was pretty clear and pretty simple. Uh, They were the mandates of the Affordable Care Act, which we referred to most often as Obamacare, and they required that among many good things, and and we have to acknowledge that Obamacare wasn't all bad, but there were certain things in there that Catholic employers were going to be required to do that just simply were not in keeping with our faith, things that that couldn't be done. And failing to get any flexibility from from the government, uh, ultimately coming together and litigating on the issues
0: became the only real option Hmm. What's the uh, what's the relationship between the CBA and the U.S. Catholic Church? Uh, we're independently
1: organized. We're incorporated as a as a not for profit uh, company. We are recognized by the USCCB uh, in the OCD, so we are a for real Catholic organization, and we are considered a ministry. We work very closely uh, in concert, often with with the USCCB.
0: All right. Let's talk about some of the benefits of the Catholic Benefits Association. So, Doug, can you tell us what kind of services does CBA offer to its members?
1: Well, Joe, as I said, our, our original and still our primary focus is on the legal defense of our members. Uh, and that is uh, what we do day in and day out here uh, to help them be able to and not have to be distracted from operating their ministries and their businesses. Uh, we've gained more judiciary protections for Catholic employers than all the other litigation combined. And you do hear a lot about other litigation in this area. I think probably most notably the, the Little Sisters case. Uh, I'll, I'll put a parenthesis there to make it clear the Little Sisters are good friends of ours, as as are the good folks at, at Beckett. Uh, we're, we're just thrilled for what they had happen this, this week. But We also have gained uh, permanent injunctive relief from those same CASC mandates uh, for more employers than than any other litigation. And an exciting part of that was we won the right to extend that uh, coverage and that exemption to future members of CBA. So anybody joining CBA now uh, can also benefit from being exempted from, from those types of requirements. We washed away $6 billion in accumulated fines for our members in doing that. So we're we're very pleased and proud that we have a broad and successful litigation uh, history. But as we've grown, as we've uh, gone through these years, the scope of our membership has, has broadened along with it. And it's been mostly in direct response to the needs that we saw and heard from our members. Uh, We offer moral and ethical guidance in the areas of of employment and employee benefits. Uh, I should say that our organization is is led in great part by the eight board members, uh, the archbishops, who uh, also form our ethics committee. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And uh, I guess unpaid commercial announcement here. uh, Since the beginning, uh, when one of my bishops was discussing something moral and ethical with me in terms of the direction we were going to take suggested that i call john and i said okay and then i went to a trusted f- friend and said who's john and found out that he's uh, john haas and uh, i made a point of getting to know the folks at ncbc and and uh, we depend as you know on on uh, your input in a lot of what we do as well in guiding our partners uh right. and our members um, We provide legal and regulatory analysis and guidance uh, through our legal team Uh, and it's focused on all aspects of of employment law, benefits, uh, legislation, regulatory compliance, insurance plans. Uh, A good example of that would be newly passed state laws and regulations. We get calls fairly regularly saying the state's trying to make us do this or they've said we have to do that. What's our course? we also heard a lot from our members uh, as we promulgated various guidances. Uh, same Provision of same-sex benefits would be a good example of that. Uh, it was a great solution to help Catholic employers deal with the fact that same-sex benefits are mandated, uh, but at the same time, not something that, that they can directly be involved with. Human resources directors began calling and, and you know, the problem they were facing was well, this is great guidance and it's morally and legally and theologically correct. But out here, where the rubber meets the road, uh, I have a problem with how do I do this or how do I do that? And we found that over time, we were working more and more with HR professionals around the country on a variety of, of important right. issues. And we now have a full time. Highly qualified HR consultative director who uh, has not only worked with our our HR members, but has uh, worked to expand our templated uh, library of Catholic compliant employee handbooks, policies, procedures, etc.
0: Right. I was just going to uh, mention uh, your, your HR person, Shannon Sizak. I've actually been working with her on some different things recently, and, and she's absolutely fantastic. I was wondering, Doug, if we could just go back, um, if you could clarify something for us. You mentioned uh, a little while ago this Cask mandate. And I'm just, uh, for our listeners, I was wondering if you could just tell us, uh, explain what that is, um, just so that we're all on the same page. Hey, uh, first two apologies. Number
1: one is I do tend to run on when people ask me about two topics, my grandkids and CBA. Uh, <laughs> I resisted the temptation with the grandkids, but you asked me what CBA did, and you were about to get another five minutes. So feel free to jump in at any time. Uh, <laughs> we will. Yeah. My, my second apology will be to, to everybody who listens to this and, and is sitting wondering the same thing you were. What the heck is CASC? Uh, it's our internal shorthand, if, if you will, for the Obamacare mandates that said that Employers had to provide uh, contraceptive, abortifacient, uh, sterilization, and uh, my favorite, the counseling uh, services uh, through their health plans. And uh, we just refer
0: to it as CASK as, as shorthand. And t- just again, to clarify, what did the CBA receive in federal court in terms of this CASC mandate? Because I think this is really, really important. This is something I want to make sure our listeners are aware of.
1: We had uh, a win that was beyond all of our hopes. Uh, we gained uh, retroactive and and forward go ongoing, uh, injunct permanent injunctive relief from the imposition of those specific mandates. Uh, importantly, the language. Validated the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act as as a source. It acknowledged the fact that as people have become aware, the Little Sisters claiming that that such things were a burden on their uh, religious freedom was was validated uh, directly in that finding, and we were given the ability to apply that that protection uh, to future members as well. At the same time, those KASK mandates came with absolutely crushing fines. And over the time that we were litigating, the accumulated crude fines uh, just on our members alone was over $6 billion, and those were all washed away. So if, if in fact, right. President Biden does what he suggested he was going to do, uh, and that is reverse all of this the day he gets into office, our membership is, is permanently protected. Right.
0: And that that's key. And that, that's what I would really wanted to make sure people say, that any member of the CBA is protected from any of these contraceptive coverage mandates and, and the other things that you're talking about, which is huge. That's a very, very big win. And congratulations on that. So, Doug, how does an organization become a member of the CBA? That's pretty easy, Joe. Um, actually, uh, it's very simple for
1: church organizations, obviously, churches or their affiliates. Uh, dioceses, Catholic charities, and and things, uh, other organizations that are recognized in, in the OCD. The interesting uh, aspect of our membership is, is that the courts have allowed us to have and have actually defined a category of privately owned for-profit and not-for-profit Catholic businesses who can also uh, be part of CBA. And the test is fairly easy to pass if you are, in fact, Catholic, and that is uh, at least 50% of, uh, 51% of the ownership must be Catholic. Uh, if there's a board, at least 51% of it must be Catholic. And the organization must have a written policy that they are going to provide benefits to their employees uh, in compliance with the teachings of the church. Uh, I then certify their Catholicity, if you will, to the court, and they're admitted into membership with all the benefits that a diocese would have. So it's not a difficult thing to do. It's not. And uh, actually, the form to do it can be filled out in as little as 10 minutes. It's available on our website at CatholicBenefitsAssociation.org. And we're, all, we're available. Our membership uh, services director, Mandy Cox, uh, contact information is there on the website as well. She's always available to answer questions. But again, it's a pretty straightforward and, and easy process.
0: Okay. Anything else you want to tell us about CBA before we get into our recent Supreme Court decisions? Well, yes. The the, the one area that I didn't cover in
1: ter- that was developed in response to needs from our, uh, our membership uh, was access to a, an authentic Catholic health plan. We, we heard repeatedly that it was almost impossible to find accessible, affordable, and Catholic healthcare coverage out there. And we have since developed a partnership with United Healthcare, with uh, a sister company of theirs, UMR, which is the country's largest third-party administrator, and OptumRX. So I think many people that, that hear this, if they have United Healthcare insurance, are familiar with those names. Uh, but they have actually entered into a contractual agreement with CBA to administer self-funded Catholic health plans in it morally compliant way, uh, they've taken the further step of actually asking CBA to help guide them in how those claims are, are managed so that at the end of the year, there's no surprise for the employer finding out that he's been delivering services that, that they really did not want to have delivered. Yeah. So there's, there's there's an awful lot to cover there. Uh, and, and I think that's probably not uh, for me to do today, but uh, our Catholic Insurance Company Vice President Jason Kuhn can be contacted either through our CBA website or the Catholic Insurance Company website for further information.
0: Yeah, I believe we are planning to uh, record a podcast with Jason and with Shannon Sizik in a couple of weeks. So hopefully, we'll be able to talk about the the, uh, the Genesis program in a lot more detail. All right, so let's let's change gears to the to the main topic of our. Of our discussion today. So over the past few weeks, we've seen a number of Supreme Court decisions come down that affect religious liberty. And Doug, I'd I'd like to ask you about four of these cases. Now, we're not going to go into the legal intricacies of, of, of these courts' rulings, but I'd like you to focus on how you think these rulings are going to affect the work of CBA and affect its members. So with that in mind, first case from a few weeks ago that came down was Bostock versus Clayton County. How is this decision going to affect CBA and its members?
1: Well, I should start by saying that media coverage is is often superficial. It tends to focus on one perceived factor in each of these cases. And so Bostock's a great example. Uh, It was widely hailed uh, in the mainstream media as a simple declaration that Discrimination against individuals or groups based on their sexual orientation or gender identification is not allowed in the same way that it's not allowed under the historic definition of male and female. Right. That seems almost benign, uh, if, if you simply read it that way, hear it that way, but what's not discussed, uh, is the downstream ramifications that come with that, uh, this ruling has created an, an entirely new, and I might I must say, actually, an undefined and ever-changing, and not to be flip about it, but fluid, uh, <laughs> of, of individuals. And that class, based on this ruling, since it was relating to Title VII, the, the Civil Rights Act, uh, must now be considered in every law, regulation, rule, policy, procedure, employment decision, and behavior uh, that were previously addressed with regard to, to both male, just male and female. Um, Justice Alito, in his dissent, uh, did comment that this reaches to the bathroom and locker room assignments, college dorm rules, competition and athletic events. And those are great examples. But for purposes of folks who are probably on this, uh, listening to this uh, session, it's uh, really of, of greater interest to, to understand that this is going to apply to employers uh, in almost every aspect of hiring, discipline, dismissals, dress codes, rules of conduct, and, and on and on. Uh, we see this probably as providing fodder in the courts uh, for re- religious employers who are, are being, going to be sued on various aspects of this. And, and I really honestly see this going on for decades.
0: Do you th- I've I've heard different people's takes on the Bostock decision. In fact, the NCBC did a podcast with uh, a religious liberty attorney, Eric Niffin, who I'm I know you are very familiar with. And Eric's take, and I've heard other people's take as well, is that the Bostock decision it, we don't really know how how encompassing it's going to be because the court, even in the the uh, Justice Gorsuch's uh, concurring opinion. He seemed to leave open um, the discussion about religious institutions that that you know, how religious organizations, religious employers, how this is going to affect them, this particular decision didn't really touch on that. And those are questions that are going to be that are going to have to be litigated in the future. And Eric's take on it, and I've heard other people say the same thing, is that, if uh, what this case really should be is a, is a wake-up call for religious employers to very clearly state and very cl- make very clear that they are, you know, they from, well from the CBA's perspective, they are Catholic entities, Catholic identities, Catholic missions, and make this very clear in terms of employment, uh, you know, job descriptions and everything else. And as as long as they do that, they may be okay. What's what's your take on that? Well, you're right. Uh, Justice Gorsuch
1: did uh, actually cl- state very clearly, and and I agree completely with with Eric. And and by the way, I'm not an attorney, uh, and I, I very carefully couch my statements <laughs> in 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 that uh, framework. Uh, he did actually uh, specifically say that look, none of the plaintiffs in this particular case were religious, right. so. Eric and I are coming at it from two different directions, but I think we both agree that that it's going to be fodder for litigation because it is, uh, as he pointed out, undefined. And the specific religious question hasn't been uh, addressed. And yes, therefore, we're going to find religious organizations uh, dragged into this when challenges are made based on on sexual orientation or, or gender identity.
0: Right. And we know what's coming. All right. So Doug, anything else on Bostic or should we move on to the Little Sisters? Oh, I I think I've covered Bostick as well as my non-lawyerly uh qualifications <laughs> should allow me to go. Right. All right. So let's go to Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. What uh what are the implications of this case for CBA and its members? This is another one that just as as Bostic was was lamented and and
1: seen as a as a terrible uh uh, loss for the for the religious uh, uh, in our country, uh, and and not entirely accurately, but but it was. Uh, similarly, the Little Sisters' win, as it's been uh, referred to, uh, is equally nuanced. Uh, we're very grateful and and thrilled that it happened. Uh, the Little Sisters have been through so much, but. What needs to be understood is, is that a careful reading of, of this case shows that it was based on an affirmation only that the Trump administration acted within the law. It was based on a, a regulatory change that they implemented two and a half years ago and was immediately stopped by challenges in court. Uh, and the fight has been, did the Trump administration proceed correctly within the administrative acts? Uh Guidelines in developing and promulgating this that uh, and that was affirmed by the court that yes, in fact, they did. Another important affirmation in in Little Sisters was the fact that states don't have the right, if the administration has acted correctly, to challenge or change those those rules. So th- those are good things. Uh, the things that are missing in this, though, are. Uh, affirmation of a, a an important aspect of uh, rulemaking, and that is that the rulemaking body has undertaken reasonable uh, care in evaluating the situation and in making the decision to, to do what they did. That isn't discussed, and it isn't affirmed, and we really think that somewhere down the road that's going to be grounds for uh, challenging this in court. But of greater concern, I I think, from our perspective and our membership's perspective is uh, just yesterday, some may have read uh, Catholic News Agency had an article in there where our presumptive uh, Democratic presidential nominee said, quote, if I'm elected, I will restore the Obama-Biden policy that existed before the Supreme Court uh, Hobby Lobby ruling. So he he has planted the flag that he is going to immediately go back and change back this ruling that was just affirmed by the court as having been done correctly, which he certainly can do if he does it correctly. So I think from our perspective, we see this issue coming back. The good news is CBA members have permanent injunctive relief that specifically forbids the government from applying this Set of mandates or similar, and that's important language uh, to any member of the Catholic Benefits Association, then or now or in the future. In the future,
0: yeah. Again, just just to repeat that 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 it's it's so important because we we don't know what's going to happen following the twenty twenty election, and but CBA members are protected, and it's it's I, I mean it's just huge, and um, it's a good thing. All right, so let's move on. Our Lady of Guadalupe versus Morrissey Beru.
1: Well, in in Our Lady of Guadalupe, and this is an area that, that CBA is not actively engaged, but the the protection of religious employers in in hiring, management, dismissal uh, practices with employees uh, was affirmed, and and that is basically what that says is is that they do have the right to make decisions uh, with. Protection on their uh, based on their religious beliefs, and the states themselves can't override that. Uh, it's it's a wonderful win. Uh, it's very very encouraging. Uh, it will free a lot of Catholic ministries from activities that they've been doing trying to defend their decisions. However, uh, again, as with with many of these things, something that's left undefined is. The, the actual definition of ministers. So how far into a religious organization is, is this going to extend? And it's going to be an important task for all. This ruling, while it's, it's good, um, really makes it even more important for uh, Catholic employers to perfect their, their Catholic identity in advance
0: uh, of being challenged. Yeah. And and just uh, to follow up on that, I've uh, been working with Shannon Sizek in your office on a Catholic school gender identity policy, both for students and for adults. And what you just said is basically what she said. And I was also speaking with uh, Kathy Redman, uh, your, your marketing communications person. And she was saying the same thing when this decision came out, that what this does is really emphasize to Catholic employers that you, you need to be very very clear and make very clear your identity your mission when you're hiring employees and make it and make it very clear to them that the expectations on them uh, when they are employed by that institution and and this this decision hopefully will will support that and, and strengthen that uh, for Catholic employers
1: it will, and it will also ra- raise the importance of them sooner than later. And and you know we do uh, talk about Catholic identity quite a bit. And I know I've mentioned it a couple times. And I guess in fairness, I, I should uh, say why. Uh, but it seems odd to me sometimes. But but we very often hear uh, something to the the effect of, "Well, isn't it obvious that we're Catholic?" Uh, <laughs> And, and and yes, we're standing in a church. Yes, there are crosses in all the offices and yes, et cetera, et cetera. But the assaults on our faith faith are, are going to continue. We are going right. to find ourselves in one form or another in court. Don't know what that might be, don't know what it might entail, but what we do know is that one of our key defenses in many of these cases is our Catholicity. It is our faith. And whatever the basis we find ourselves defending on our right to be challenged it's an absolute certainty that our catholicity is going to be questioned they're going to say you know let's let's look at your current and past behaviors let's look at your current mm-hmm. and past policies procedures employment agreements benefits programs codes of conduct employee orientation, how you manage them, ongoing training, everything we do is going to be examined under the microscope of, is it Catholic? Are you Catholic? And if you don't have policies, procedures, documentation, and practices that set that up in advance, that tell employees coming in the door that this is the case, that train them throughout their time of employment with the organization that this is the case, and that emphasize it as, as they leave, then it weakens your your case. And I think, I appreciate that you've been working with, with Shannon. Uh, Shannon actually pointed out to me the other day in, in having this very discussion that, uh, uh, and you know, Doug, it wouldn't hurt if uh, more policies and procedures actually referenced the uh, Catholic Catechism. Yep,
0: absolutely. Yeah, we talked about that as well. Yeah,
1: it's, we, we say, well, we do this because this is what the church teaches. Well, when you're sitting in court, they're going to say, oh, really? Where is, <laughs> where, where is, that? Where, where is that teaching? Well, if you can tell them that it's paragraph, that's a great start. So we, we do talk a lot about Catholic identity, but we also work very hard with our members to examine what they're doing. Uh, in our case, in particular, in their employment practices and in their benefits programs to have a seamless Catholic identity.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the the great benefits of being a member of the Catholic Benefits Association is that you have you have HR professionals who understand while well, they understand HR, but also understand Catholic identity and, and to be able to to work with organizations, work with dioceses, work with schools, whomever to blend identity and blend what is expected uh, under the law. That I mean, it, it's an essential service you guys provide. So, again keep doing it. All right. Last case, Espinosa versus Montana. That was a good one. It, it, It was
1: nice to see, uh, in reality, Joe, it's a long overdue correction of, of a blatant attempt, uh, to discriminate against, uh, particularly the Catholic church, which, uh, at the end of the day ended up discriminating against, uh, a lot more than just Catholic organizations in terms of their ability to, to, uh, compete for grants and funds and receive funding uh, for projects uh, that had anything whatsoever to do with with, uh, state government. Uh, It was the result of a failed attempt at a constitutional amendment that would have mandated that nationally. Uh, But 37 states, 38 states, I'm sorry, uh, actually did uh, enact either constitutional amendments in their states or legislation in their states, which basically mirrored that, that sentiment and that practice. And so for all these years, uh, Catholic schools and and many other uh, as the evangelical movement has, has grown and other religions have become more prominent, uh, they've suffered with this as well. So it was good to see that the, the Supreme Court put that to rest, said it wasn't legal, and uh, we're hopeful that we'll see 37 other states begin dismantling theirs.
0: Yeah. Now these are the uh, these are the Blaine amendments, correct? They are. Yeah, they're they're
1: referred to as as Blaine amendments. That was the gentleman who
0: was pushing that movement back in, I believe, it was the 30s. All right. So, Doug, how does the Genesis program and CBA as a whole help an organization to maintain its Catholic identity?
1: Well, Joe, CBA knows how to litigate and win. We've done it. We'll continue to do it, it's in our DNA. But as we've grown and we've learned our legal lessons and we've seen others win and lose based on this factor or that factor, and we've listened to the real world experience of of our members, we've developed services and consultative resources that are all part of membership. We can help with consultation and tangible tools in, in moral and ethical questions, legal and regulatory guidance, employment practices and, and implementable employment tools, ongoing education opportunities, uh, and our member webinars are important. They keep our members and sometimes non-members informed on, on real issues, real time. So all of these things are part of membership at no additional cost, and they do contribute to a very seamless Catholic identity. And, and so you never know where that chink in the armor might be, but I think we've developed services and, and tools that, that help close those up. But one area that people don't look at uh, probably as closely as they should are their, are their actual healthcare benefit plans. Uh, it's surprising mm-hmm. how many times we go into an institution and find that for years they've been paying for this or, or allowing that or approving this or that, that when we point it out to them, either through a lack of understanding of the language or just a lack of of knowledge of of insurance benefits, uh, they're very surprised. Our Genesis plan can help an awful lot of these self-funded Catholic employers with a high-quality, easily managed, and, and dependably Catholic program. And in almost every case, it costs less than what they're experiencing now. So Genesis is a key component to your Catholic identity. Uh, I think it would be a shame for a good Catholic organization to be defending itself against being forced to do something that isn't Catholic only to find themselves in court being asked, well, why for the past, you know, five years has your insurance plan done? Uh, And and, and it's a very sad thing that unfortunately we've seen. And that's why Genesis is so important along with all the other services that we do provide.
0: All right, you, you've touched on this question in a couple of different places, but let's see if we can kind of bring it all together. So I want you to look into your crystal ball and what future challenges do you see Catholic employers facing, especially in light of what could happen in the in the 2020 elections, and what is CBA doing to address these challenges?
1: Well, Joe, uh, this one isn't really as hard as, as you may think. I, I don't have to break out my <laughs> My Karnak skills will be unnecessary here. <laughs> uh, I do. Boy, I hope I'm not showing my age with that one.
0: Uh, I got that one, Doug. So if if, if, uh, if I'm, I'm showing mine as well.
1: <laughs> but I I honestly think Joe, the first volleys have have already been fired, and so it's it's not hard to follow the logical progression. Uh, I think there's going to be innumerable challenges to the faith. Look look historically at the church in the United States, and going back all the way back into history. I don't think there have been great periods where, where it wasn't challenged. But I think there are going to be increasing challenges to faith in general in this country, uh, the Catholic Church in particular, and a great deal of the fallout is going to land on our members who are trying to operate ministries and businesses and end up getting distracted from that by defending some act or action or lack thereof. Uh, I think just as same-sex marriage, sexual orientation, and gender identity have all been litigated into, quote, in quotations, normalcy, we're going to see the continuing push for abortion to birth. And further than that, the, the right, and I underline and capitalize that, the right to access it uh, will be pressed. And turning that into a some sort of uh, actual human right. Uh, the provision of euthanasia, drugs and services is, is very quietly and, and not with a lot of visibility creeping its way into one state after another. There's an endless variety of employment benefits, litigation, over all the unanswered questions in the court decisions that we've talked about today. So I, I really believe that given... That and given the potential outcome of the November elections, if if they do go in a in a way that's not favorable to us, uh, we may well be looking back at the Obama years as the good old days.
0: Yeah, that's scary. Very scary. All right, you uh, you you mentioned that uh, one of the things that CBA does for its members is have webinars uh, periodically on on topics that are, you know, things that happen and and are relevant topics and relevant issues to to Catholic employers. So we are recording this podcast on July 10th. And on July 16th, you're going to be having a webinar uh, featuring Helen Alvarez and others to discuss uh, the recent Supreme Court rulings. Why is this an important feature for your members?
1: We try to inform our members further than what they're able to to become aware of, you know, everybody in their, their actual real lives don't have the time to sit and analyze these things the way we do. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think it's incumbent on us to, to do the job that we do to look at these decisions very carefully. And from the minute they're released, we, we start combing through them and trying to figure out what does this actually say? What doesn't it say? What does this bode for our membership going forward? And what are we going to do about it? Uh, we're blessed with a, a legal team that is really, uh, top notch. Martin Nussbaum, our general counsel and his partner, Ian Sphere, have been the architects of our successful litigation strategy to date. Uh, Martin's also cons- special consultant to the USCCB religious liberty committee, and he was a lead in structuring the CBA from the beginning. So we're, we're on very solid ground in, in that area, but we're especially proud, uh, of having Helen Alvarez as one of our founding board members. She is still a board member. Uh, I suppose we actually assume most of the time that everybody in our Catholic world knows Helen, but I'm sure that's not the case. Uh, A professor of law at Anton Scalia Law School at George Mason, uh, as I say, a founding member of CBA. She's also one of today's leading authorities on issues relating to religious liberty, women's reproductive rights, family, and many other timely issues. In fact, this week, uh, her opinion piece was, was the lead story in uh, the National Catholic Register. She was interviewed on EWTN the night that the, the Supreme Court decisions came down. So she's she's a real force, a, a real source of, of terrific uh, insight. I, I might add as an aside, uh, back in 2013 when we did the first website for CBA, Helen did a, a video that has been on our landing page ever since and and explaining the, the reasons and the needs for CBA. Uh, in updating our website this past year, I went back and, and looked at that. I hadn't for a while, and prophetic was the only word I could come up with. She, six years ago, accurately said, This is going to happen, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And here we are. They all have. So, For folks who who might find it interesting, go to our new website. I left the old video there next to the new one that she did for us this year. Uh, So I I think it could be a very interesting viewing. Uh, We do this to educate, to warn, to hopefully prod people into an awareness of of what they need to be doing. Uh, It's been a period of relative quiet for the past couple of years in terms of, of direct assaults on the church. That's not going to last. And sometimes we actually feel that topics are important enough that we open up what are typically member-only uh, webinars to uh, non-members as well. And, and we are doing that with this one. I think having Helen and Martin and Ian all talking on these these immediate current issues and and their potential impact is going to be tremendously helpful to both our members and and to folks who aren't so
0: yeah so how would a so so say someone who is listening to this podcast is not a member of the cba and they may not even be listening to this podcast until after your webinar uh runs on the 16th of july how can how can people access the the webinar if they'd like to do so
1: Well, for those who get to it before the webinar, it's real simple. Go to our our website. Uh, There you'll find my contact information or Mandy Cox, our membership services director's information. Reach out to one of us and we'll get you set up with a link uh, that will get you to the the webinar. It's a little more difficult afterwards. Um, We have what we call our member only room where we put guidances, white papers, legal findings, webinars, recordings, those sorts of things. It's accessible only to our members. However, we really do feel that the value of this webinar next week warrants it. So if someone after the fact would like to get a recording of that, just reach out to us by phone and we'll be happy to, to get that to them.
0: What's the uh, what's the best? You mentioned phone. You mentioned your website. What's the website again? Just for for anybody who would like to reach out to you.
1: Okay. Listen carefully. It's a long one. CBA was not available when I did this, and so <laughs> uh, our our website is all one word: Catholic Benefits with an Association dot org.
0: Catholic Benefits Association dot org. Very good. All right, Doug Wilson, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today?
1: Well, I wish my grandkids would ask me that, but they don't. (laughs) Thank thank you for that. (laughs) Don't hold your
0: breath for that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and don't, don't let your expectations get too high here, but you know, if, if, if someone listening to this is, is the owner or manager of, of a Catholic organization, whether that's within the church or privately held, uh, please ask yourself the question, is, is my Catholic identity seamless and defensible? You never know who's going to be the, the next target. I mean, I think of this poor cake maker here in Denver who simply tried not to, to breach his faith, which was not Catholic. In not Jack in, Phillips. Jack Phillips, and you know, he never expected that to happen, uh, but it, it's going to become more common. And so, please ask yourself that. And and if you are interested in asking the question, what can I do to support the defense of religious liberty? I can only remind everyone: there's strength in association, a purely Catholic, dedicated, unified membership has allowed CBA to accomplish what we have. It came from nothing. We were we were nowhere, zero, seven years ago right now. But the task is only going to get harder. We have members who have anywhere from 22,000 employees down to two. So whatever your size, we can benefit together. Um, go to our website and take a look at the membership information. Very good. Doug Wilson,
0: thank you for your time today.
1: Joe, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. I can't wait until we can do it in person and not involve
0: masks. (laughs) Me too. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics On Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future topics, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at j-z-a-l-o-t at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcast, please go to our website, hover on the blogs and podcasts button, and then click Bioethics On Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening today, and may God's peace be with you.